It's episode 55, and I'm Pete Primo. We are going to be talking to Simon Harris, Managing Director of Serial Training, about the power of focus. But before we do that, let's pay the bills really quickly. If you haven't gotten my book, Sell a Million, what are you waiting for? 101 tips for furniture and mattress stores to sell another million this year. My good friends at Mattress Industry Network have been kind enough to sponsor this show. Thank you, Steve, for your sponsorship. Uh, Over 1,100 members in this free Facebook group. You, If you own a furniture or a mattress store and you're serious about selling mattresses and or you're just in the mattress industry, you're welcome to join this group. Over 1,100 strong And it's for retailers by retailers. It's the only group that actually is run by retailers for the benefit of other retailers. So it's a great community. It's absolutely free. And with that, I will say goodbye to my my introduction and say hello to the great Simon Harris, Managing Director of Serial Trainer 7, and the, 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 the talk that we're going to do today is about the power of focus. And I can't think of anything more important in today's world where you know this headline or that headline is pulling our attention away from what we as store owners and as salespeople need to be focused on. So Simon, welcome to the show and thank you so much for coming on and being with us. Oh, thank you so much for inviting us. Great stuff. It's a, it's a little dark here in the UK. It's uh, around about 10 past five in the evening here. Um, so what is it around in your time around midday? Yeah, we're, we're right smack in, at noon, a little past oh. noon right now. So both times of the day, it's time for a cocktail, right? Simon, what do you say about focus in today's new world? Well, for a start, we have to be really conscious that within sales, so much has changed and yet so much hasn't changed. Within sales, people still need what we have and it's up to us to deliver value. But we know as well that People tend to be a little bit more short-term in the way that they do things. There's still a lot of uncertainty and we need to be responsive to this. Um, Sherry Levatkin says that there is this phenomena which is known as comparative expectation. She posted on LinkedIn about this kind of phenomenon after some research. And she said that now in the world we're in now, people want more than ever speed, service, and security to everything that they buy and every person that they deal with. And I think when we think about sales, that actually giving security is so important. It's the foundations of trust in the way that we make people feel. And that security is so important. Speed is important. People want everything yesterday. So we do need to be able to think about how we can make things easier and simpler for people to buy from us. And then the level of service we give is absolutely paramount. I mean, if we think about, you know, the customer experience and giving exceptional customer service, we have to give even more of that right now because customers are so demanding. And so in 2022 AD, as I call it, which is after the disease, although it's kind of with us in 2019, (laughs) which is before COVID. So we've got that kind of window where we've all been asleep 
you know, lockdown in our houses with time to think. And now it's that time where we need to really refresh and to focus. And being New Year as well, we need to make sure everything sticks. So lots of New Year's resolutions that people are talking about. But Pete, you know as well as I do, a New Year's resolution doesn't necessarily stick. You know, you remember the days, you know, when you used to go back to the gym in January and it was filled with good intentions and you just knew they wouldn't be there two weeks later. But still, they took all the space up in the gym and didn't put their weights back properly. There's a name <laughs> calling special people. Um, they used to moan because it was heavy as well. And they say, oh, they're so heavy. And it's like, yeah, they're called heavy because they're called weights. There's a clue in the name. <laughs> Anyway, you can see the battle I'm fighting right now in my own gym, can't you? <laughs> so those resolutions don't necessarily stick. And what we've got to do in sales is we've really got to come at this with, you know, a real focus. And I've created a kind of mnemonic for focus at the moment, which I'm talking to people about. In fact, I've been talking to my clients about this up to Christmas, because I think the best time to start any form of New Year focus is in December, because it's kind of a dead month anyway. It's the silly season leading up to Christmas. So it's a good idea to focus those new ideas, practice them so they become habit very early on. And focus for me feels for the F of focus, and we love a mnemonic, the F of focus is about fear. And about, it's about feeling a little bit of fear. It's never hurt anybody to have some fear. Fear of failure, fear of over-success, fear of over-delivery. Um, but we need to be in a position where we feel a little bit of fear because when we think about any changes that are coming about in the new year, fear helps us to overcome things a little bit. It can also hold us back. But if we think in sales about what fear stands for, we've heard it stand for false evidence appearing real or factual evidence, which is actually real, F-E-A-R. And if we can focus more on the factual evidence, which is actually real, then rather than focusing on false evidence, the things that hold us back, that factual evidence is what's going to keep us going. So I like a little bit of fear in my focus to begin with. I think there is an optimistic opportunity, the O of focus. Now, I have a real thing about optimism and I have a real thing about positivity. If I'm honest, and I could swear a lot here, but I won't, I really in insert an expletive hate positivity because it feels empty. It feels hollow. Whereas optimism has a little bit of process. It has a little bit of method about it. You know, when we thought at the beginning of the pandemic, you all saw a lot of positivity. We're going to get through it. We're going to get through it. But it all sounded a bit hollow. But if we say, add a bit of optimism to it, you know, we're going to get through it as long as we all do our part and do this and do this and do this. It's okay. So when we add a bit of methodology and a little bit of process, we end up with this kind of optimistic opportunity, which is focusing us in the right direction. Can I go on? Can, can I just, um, I think there's a broader, um, a broader uh, subject that we should just, just, just touch on very quickly. How we label things affects us. And uh, the positivity was affecting Simon in a false, hollow way. He wanted it to be real, to make it real to him and stick to him. 
Optimism is what he chose. Labeling things correctly for you. Forget about labeling things for other people. I'm talking about your internal dialogue here. Labeling them properly for you so that they help you focus on your goals is a huge, huge opportunity. And you should take every chance that you can on every thought that you have and ask yourself just one question. Is this labeled correctly? And is my feeling and my reaction to this correct? Is it what I want to do with my life and with my thoughts? And if it's not, do what Simon did. This is brilliant. Relabel it so that it's truer to what you feel and it helps you stay aligned to your goals and it helps you to focus on your goals. So I am sorry. And let me just say a shout out to Brian uh, Morell, also known as Gator. Uh, good morning, and thank you very much for be- being here, Gator. I appreciate you, and and uh, I- I'm sure you've seen Simon on LinkedIn. So uh, anybody that knows Simon's a big fan of Simon. So thank you for being here. Hey, Brian. Simon, what did I interrupt you? I you well, know you should... I, just, I just get on the flow and I just go with it. I just go with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, with all this focus that's going on, with all this fear that's going on, and all these the, you know this optimism, if you will, this opportunity. What it does is it clears out a lot of the fog that's involved in a lot of these resolutions, a lot of the doubt. And so therefore, what you end up with is a sense of clarity. And the minute that something becomes clear, then you can commit to it and actually make a full commitment to get to where you want to go. And that commitment may not be about trying to move a mountain, because we all know that if you try and move a mountain, nothing's going to happen. But ultimately, if you start messing about with the gravel at the bottom of the mountain, you can make some small gains, and that's good. But also within sales, it's about commercial clarity. And that means that we have to set ourselves goals in some way that we can achieve, but we can actually get very, very small wins very quickly with so that we can keep the momentum going. And that clarity helps us to really focus on what's important. Of course, doing it on your own is often really, really hard. And I know that as a business owner, when, you know, on my own, there's just two of us that run this, but when we run the business, when you run a business, you can feel like you're on your own. So if you've got great groups around you as well, you get a sense of what I call unity. And unity is, for anyone who's read works on influence, especially Robert Caldini's stuff on influence, you'll know that the eighth rule of influence from his newest book is the rule of unity, that we can do things together. And I really love unity in terms of focus because it's the you of focus. Let's have a little bit of doing things together. Find other people and support them and they will then give it you back. Let me, you, you, you got a lot of stuff there. Let me unpack it before you hit your last well, point. Well, that last uh, S, Pete, that cl- last S. <laughs> clarity. You know what? You go ahead. I know what I'm going to say. You go ahead. You finish. Sure. Yes. Okay. So when it comes to the last, the last bit of focus, it stands for the word sustainable. It's about sustaining. Now, again, just like the word positivity, I have a little bit of a view on the word goals, because often when you see people set goals, they may achieve them, 
But often, sustaining them is the hardest bit. Let's stay with the fitness industry. You see people whose fitness goals are to lose a bit of weight or they're to get stronger, fitter, leaner, which faster, whichever it is. And they get to the goal. And then what happens is once they've reached that goal, unless there's a, stain, a sustainability mechanism that's in place, then basically they are going to start going backwards straight away because there's nothing to uphold it. There's nothing to sustain it. So when we start to think about setting any form of goal or focus in place, I think it's so important to start with the end in mind. Once you achieve this, how are you then going to keep it going? So let's say, for example, it's about bringing in new customers and doing, you know, cold calling or something like that. If you're going to be doing that and you know that to reach your goal, you need to be able to do five cold calls a day or five outreaches a day. You know that once you reach that goal, you're going to have to sustain it. So you've got to keep going and you have to keep going the whole while. Doing one more, that whole message that Jeb Blount teaches us, which is just one more, do just one more. I've been living that dream for years in sales. And, you know, we've always had this thing in teams where we've said, before you leave tonight, just do one more call, just do one more call. And it makes such a difference. I recently got involved um, with a guy called Kenny Baldo, who's in New York. And Kenny did a challenge of 100 push-ups a day for a cancer charity for cancer and children. And he got a load of us together to do 100 push-ups a day. And we all videoed ourselves doing these push-ups every single day. But at the end of it, it was the every day in November. But at the end of it, what I did was I carried it on. And then the day after, on the 1st of December, I, re I recorded another set of me doing it under the heading of doing just one more set because it just keeps that momentum going. And loads of people really like that because you're kind of living what you teach, you know? So therefore, when we start to think about focus, I think that sustainability is probably one of the most important parts. So when we think about that, just to recap on those points, we've got fear, which is the F. We've got an optimistic opportunity, which is the O, committed clarity or commercial clarity, unity, bringing people together, and then sustaining the effort once we reach the goal. And here's the really, really good news, Pete. Even if you don't reach the goal or you don't get anywhere near it, you can still sustain the behavior that you were practicing along the way. Because you may not get there in that time frame, but you might get there eventually. So yep. it's a bit of the hair in the tortoise, if you will. No, I listen, I love it. There's a lot to unpack. I just want to touch on a, on a few things because <clears throat> sometimes I worry that there are really important things and that are are not emphasized enough. And one of the things that you said that was very very powerful was full commitment. And you know, I hate New Year's resolutions. And the reason I hate them is because nobody's serious about them. So I don't make them. I, I, I make goals for the new year. But the questions that I'm asking myself on the goals are very simple. Does this move the needle in my life? Is it worth the time and the effort and the focus that I have to give it? Am I willing to make the sacrifices consistently over time to achieve this goal? And if it's not a check mark on all those things, it's not a goal. And uh, what I see so often in, in my work 
is that the goal wasn't a goal. It was an idea. It was a, a resolution. It was a want, but it, it never became that white hot coal of intensity and a full commitment that you spoke of so quickly. And I thought full commitment is huge in goal. If you can't fully commit to it and it doesn't excite you, don't don't mess with it. it it's not a goal. And one of the things that I worry about is that you know, we've read in, in a book or seen in a seminar something that says we should have goals. Okay, so I'll have a goal. No, 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 no. This is for you. No, you, you listen, most of who is listening to this, they, either they own their own business, brick and mortar furniture or mattress store, or there's a, there are a sales rep that sells to a furniture or a mattress store. So you guys have not gotten to where you've gotten without having real commitment to your goals in the past, all I'm suggesting is don't have goals for other people's sake. Just make be extraordinarily selfish when it comes to goals. You can't lose weight for a doctor. You can't lose weight for your wife or for your husband. You need to lose weight for yourself. How, so the question is, how am I going to feel when I'm 20 pounds less? How will that make me feel? What will my day look like? If that appeals to you and you're willing to go through the sacrifice and the discipline, and you know, it makes me kind of think of Grant Cardone and the 10X rule, right? It's got to be 10 times harder than you think it's going to be. It's got to require 10 times more effort than you think. So put that into, into the thought process. Um, I love what you did with that though. It, it just so... So good. And the sustainability at the end, that is huge. Um, you know, if you have made a goal and you haven't changed something in your daily routine, you don't have a goal. You don't have a goal because a true goal requires a change in your daily routine. It certainly does. So I will let you keep going, Simon. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, you. And I love listening to what you say. And it's, you know, when I've watched these before, it's, it, it's great listening to what people have to say and what you have to say. But I think there's something, I would just want to dial it back from a business point of view as well. Because, you know, in business, we're always taught that we should, you know, we should have a strategy. A strategy is the business name for a kind of short-term New Year's resolution. But New Year's resolutions and strategy have something in common, and those things are the outcomes that you're looking for. So when we think about business strategy, business strategy usually fulfills one of four key outcomes or aims. Often we see, number one, a growth strategy. Sometimes we see a strategy which is about maintaining what we're currently doing, because maybe we haven't got the capacity to grow or we haven't got the money to grow or the capability to grow. So actually, it's safer right now just to maintain what we're doing. Sometimes we need to change. And a strategy to change is often filled with twists and turns. And sometimes in order to grow your business or grow your ability, you have to change your ability first. And the route to growth is change. 
And then there might be the fourth option, which is to improve. So if we're trying to grow, we might need to improve what we do first. So we're in a better position to change. And by changing, we can either maintain what we're doing or grow what we're doing. And they can work in different combinations. When we think about focus-based goals, well, it's the same thing. You're either looking to grow yourself, you're looking to maintain what you're currently doing, because do you know what? Sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So let's maintain what we're doing. Sometimes we might genuinely be a bit pants at a certain skill. So we do need to improve ourselves. That's through education or skill upgrading. But it could also be that actually we just need to change attitudinal things. So therefore, I think when we start to look at some of these elements around sales focus or around strategic focus or around even resolution-based focus, what we've got to do is we've got to look to think about the outcome being, is it a sustainable growth? Is it maintain? Is it improve or is it change? And I think when you start to see what that looks like, you have an awareness of what that end thing looks like. And one of the things that I do with people is I do this thing which is called the awareness wheel. Now, the awareness wheel gets you to write down things at the end of a goal or at the end or during a goal that you actually sense that you can do the things you think, the things you feel, and the things you want as a result of it. And when you start to write these things down, the goal that you're working towards actually feels much more tangible and it actually feels much closer to you. And often in sales, as salespeople were given targets to work to, but if the manager that's setting those targets doesn't actually get a true feel for what the person who's being set the target senses, sees, feels, does, and wants in their route to get it, then it can actually be just a bit of a wish list and just go, well, your target is $50,000 this year. And you think, yeah, right, but how are you going to do it? What does that feel like to you? How are you going to approach that? So when we start to think about awareness as well, we can actually start to think about how we plan in these strategic outcomes. And it, it makes such a difference because then what we can do is manage the performance. We can manage ourselves a lot better and we can probably get a lot closer to our goal. That's, that's, that's awesome. Oh, what do we got here? I don't know. What have you done? Have you just been on my website? This is Chris, uh, Chris Stone and his magic. Is it? Look at that. That's me yapping on at conferences and sales training sessions. <laughs> do you, do you want to know one of the reasons I wanted you on the show, Simon? Go on. You are an interesting character. You seem so disciplined to me and so focused on delivering value to people that, but you do it with a kindness and a optimistic energy. I was almost, I almost used the P word, but I didn't want to do that to you. <laughs> uh, your your energy is palpable and the fact that you've worked with so many companies and so many sales uh, people and that you do coaching and you do consulting and, and you know 
you have an education that very few people have, and you can give so much value to businesses and to sales professionals because of this broad base of knowledge. I want to come back and ask you a few questions, but first I have to take a halftime break. Guys, this takes two or three minutes. I should have warned you about this, Simon. It happens in the middle of every show. Number 96, chapter 96. This is my book. Page 137. And I know I, I, I beat you guys with this. Brand your store. Have fun branding your store in new and creative ways. Here's a quick example. At Gardner's Mattress and More, customers earn Ben Bucks that can be used to help purchase the items needed to complete a truly great sleep system like frames, sheets, pillows, protectors, and encasements. The Ben Bucks actually have a picture of Ben McClure, co-owner of Gardner's Mattress and More, and public figure for the store. It's a great way to further their store's brand. Find new and creative ways to brand your company. Now for something a little bit more controversial. For sure, a lot of manufacturers will hate this advice, but a few smart retailers will love me for it. So here it is. Retailers create name brands. Name brands do not create successful retail stores. If you must use the name brands POP, but do not use a POP for your non-brands. I would only use my own branded POP for my store. I have no interest in building any brand for anyone as a store owner. I can hear you now, but Pete, that would be so expensive. I don't need any more bills. I hear you. Ask for a discount to use against purchases for the value of the free POP. They love telling you that that foot protector is 100 bucks. Well, ask for a $100 credit for it. And you'll be able to buy a foot protector. Trust me. Uh, that will probably cover more than half of your cost to brand your store, if not all of it. And only your, and only your store with customized POP that helps you build your store's brand. So I'm asking you guys to be selfish. Your company... The brand is the only brand that you control. So if you hear me, understand this. If you are in the Mattress Industry Network, you can ask this question in the group. Has a brand that you thought was going to be a lifelong partner ever done anything that hurts your business? And you will see thousands of replies. Yep. They told me I'd be exclusive. They opened up the guy down the street. My sales went to the opposite of heaven. You'll hear all the things. So I want you to be selfish. What say you? You got any thoughts on that quick chapter, Simon? Well, when it comes to branding, there's some things I know a little bit about. Not much, I suppose, but I, I know the stuff because when I think about my business and it's Serial Trainer 7, I try to always do very consistent things when I'm working. Um, whenever I'm on camera, I do my very best to make sure that I'm always in the brand color. So everything is associated with that brand. And when you think about some of the big brands that are out there, they spend a lot of money on getting the right color for their business. And I know that the color that I'm wearing, this turquoise blue, and you can see my logo online, um, you can see that color that I use is everywhere. So I wear it to reinforce that brand. I actually write in it. And I even have the ink the same color as well. 
Um, so everything is with, within that brand. Now, I remember as well, and you mentioned Grant Cardone with his 10-time um, book. I remember him doing an interview and he said that people don't buy the best products, they buy the best known products. So when you say about being selfish, we need to make sure that we're always branding our products and always saying our products. Remember, we can spend millions of pounds and dollars on advertising, millions. But what many people forget is that they are a living, breathing, walking, talking advert themselves. And there's nothing wrong with using your brand as a billboard. It's a bit like when people put sales proposals out together and they write a sales proposal. And what do they do? They spend hours and hours looking for the customer's logo to put in that sales proposal. It's the biggest BS I've ever met in my life. Customers don't need to be reminded of who they are. They need to be reminded of who you are. (laughs) (laughs) That's the whole bloody point. Yeah. So get your name in front of them. And he's, this is so important. People, Grant Cardone said this, people don't buy the best products. They buy the best known products. And with that, when he said it, he bent down and he picked up his coffee cup and it was a Starbucks cup. And he pointed out and went, see, not the best, but definitely the best known. And that's why when I'm, when I'm doing stuff on LinkedIn and I use LinkedIn as a, such a powerful platform. You know, when I started, I was using most of the social media platforms. And I saw a post, um, I think it was by Daniel Disney. And he said that if you are using all of the platforms, but you find that, say, 40% of your engagement comes from one, then why are you spreading yourself so thin across all the others? Just concentrate on the one. And I did that with LinkedIn. And what I did was every post that I put out on LinkedIn, the last thing you read, is the words, Serial Trainer 7 is your next click. I do that on every one. Because once you start doing that, you're telling people to do something. And guess what? People do it. They just click straight on my website because I've just told them to. It's incredible. And you put a post up and you see the traffic go up. But at the end of my um, posts as well, if I'm doing a video, I always end my video by saying the same thing. So I always say, thank you so much for watching. I'm Simon, Serial Trainer 7, training that gets you there faster and leaves you there better. Because I know the power of a strapline. Because a strapline tells a story about what you do. You know, Nike have been putting the words, just do it on the bottom of their trainers for a very long time. They didn't put the words, try them on and have a think about it. They didn't say that. They just said, just do it. I mean, seriously, seriously, you know, McDonald's turn around and tell us, you're loving it. Of course you're bloody loving it. L'Oreal, tell us, because you're worth it. Do you know what? Have a strap line. Believe in what you do and use that to reinforce your brand. If you're going to be doing any form of advertising, it's so important when it comes to branding that you answer certain questions. There's one question that needs to be answered, and I'm going to share this with you, with the people that are watching this, because when you place advertising, it's so important. An advert needs to answer four questions, although they're the same question that just extended. This is the question. Number one, why should I buy? Number two, why should I buy from you? Number three, why should I buy from you over the competition? And number four, why should I buy from you over the competition 
right now. And if you can make any form of advert that you post about your business answer those questions, then you have a greater chance of getting some form of interaction or something back. Remember that any advertising you put out there, it can't guarantee response. That's the thing. You sell. Advertising is communication to an audience, a relevant audience. You know, and they always say, don't you, you know, you can take horse to water, but you can't make it drink. The power of continuous advertising allows us to remind the horse that it always gets thirsty. So therefore, we really need to be thinking about branding and how that works. And you know, when it comes to beds, let me tell you something about beds. I'll tell you something about beds. Tell me something about beds, Simon. Let me tell you something about beds. (laughs) There's two things in life that I spend my money on. Number one, shoes. I love shoes. And I spend (laughs) a lot of money on shoes. Number two, beds and bedding. And you know why? Because if you're not in one, you're in the other. So you may as well make it count. <laughs> and I don't need any other excuse to buy expensive shoes than that. And I don't need any other excuse to buy a really good bed and really good thread count bedding than that. Because if I'm not in one, I'm in the other. And if I screw my feet up, I can't walk. And if I can't walk, I can't go out and train. That's it, people. Buy a bed, <laughs> buy shoes. <laughs> yeah, forget about the fact that it, it you know, it's... uh it, it helps you be better at everything else you do. But from a very pragmatic standpoint, I get that a hundred percent. Listen, I could talk to you all day and we only have 20 minutes left and I'm trying to figure out, you have given us a lot of gold here, Simon, and thank you very much. But I really want to dive into what you have learned about focus from your clients, from from the companies and from the sales professionals that you've coached and you've consulted with, what I'm just going to ask the question this way. What mistakes have you seen your clients uh, in consulting and coaching make when it comes to focus? Um, I can, I can tell you that in, in, in a quote, actually. Larry Levine, the author of Selling from the Heart, very famously quoted by saying, salespeople today have hypnotized themselves into believing that what they're not doing doesn't work. And it is, isn't it? And I think that there are, you know, a lot of people that live by that. And I see salespeople that I go into who genuinely believe that they don't need sales training. They don't need any training at all. And that they, you know, they've got years of experience, Pete, years of experience. I've been around the block so many times and they don't need any training. Well, you know what? When I go into train with people and I consult people, the first thing I tell them is that I'm not here to tell them how to do their job. That diffuses an awful lot. But then I start telling them the story of my knife. And I always take my knife. I've got a chef's knife. Um, Part of my career, I trained as a chef very early on. And I should say as well, you know what I was telling you about with advertising just now? I worked 16 years in advertising, so I do know what I'm talking about. I should have qualified that earlier because someone might turn around and say, what does he know about advertising? Well, actually, I worked in advertising for 16 years. So my knife story. Salespeople, when they first go into sales, they go through all their training, closing skills, features and benefits, open and close questions. They go through all of that. And all the people that are watching this this have done it will be rolling their eyes saying, yeah, I've done that. Well, do you know what? 
when salespeople go into their 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 skills to begin with, it's a trial by fire. You've got to pick up the phone. You've got to get in front of people. You've got to get burned in order to learn, right? When a knife is created, it is forged in fire. And it goes through some very basic and rudimentary processes in order to hone its sharp edge. But here's the thing. A knife, like a salesperson, does a lot of this. Chop, 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 chop. As salespeople, we go through the same conversations over and over and over again, almost to the point where we can predict what customers are saying. And just like a knife, by doing the same thing over and over again, we become a little dull, a little blunt, and there is nothing, nothing more dangerous than a blunt knife because the cuts it inflicts take longer to heal. So therefore, when we resharpen our knife, it goes through exactly the same process it went through when it was first honed. It goes through that sharpening process. So with salespeople, focusing on those fundamental things that people roll their eyes at is often really good practice to focus on. And focusing on the fundamentals means that you are looking at your skills, a set of tools that you should reach into. And as you develop your skills, I believe and say to all salespeople, read as much as you can on human behavior and human psychology. I really, really read so much because the more you know about people, the easier it is to sell and to predict. I've recently just bought this this book by Thomas Erickson called Surrounded by Bad Bosses. This guy wrote Surrounded by Idiots and Surrounded by Psychopaths. And Lazy Employees. Yeah, this is a great book. It on the four key. I think it's like the color coding disk system that people have seen. But, okay. you know, you just keep reading this stuff. And I've also recently bought... Uh, Victor Antonio's book, Mastering the Upsell. Now, this book I've been shouting about a lot because there's some great stuff. Yay! Look at that. God, if only he was here, eh? Christ. Now. How would you love to be Victor Antonio? No, I like being me, thanks. Um, but Because he's but, already been but, him. So. But, two, but, but two guys doing another show. Promoting his book for free. Here, enjoy it, Victor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. While we're here, tell me, tell me about here's the book. one that I co-wrote. Yes, yeah. Good for you. Chapter eighteen is mine. Sales objections. This is a great ah. book by Jim Irving. There is over seven hundred and forty years worth of sales experience in this book by twenty-six proven sales masters and professionals. The B two B sales top. Victor says thanks. Yeah, I know, Gator. <laughs> of course, Victor says thanks. thanks. Can you get him on for us, please, Brian? That'd be great. Get him on. It's all good. But let me just let me just re-qualify some other things I was just saying, because you asked about some of the focus areas as well, and I need to answer that for you. There are things that people have started to focus on. Number one is their critical business value, what I call the CBV. I think it's really important for you to know what it is that you do that delivers the most value and focus on that because that's the thing that made you famous. That's the thing that you're known for. Think about it like this. A few years ago, a very wise person said to me on my business, 
Think about your business like McDonald's. McDonald's are famous for the Big Mac. They don't need to do very much to sell it. It sells itself. They've done all the work for it. That's what they're known for. Work out what your Big Mac is and then work out what your fillet of fish, what your fries and what your shake is and focus on those in priority order. And I think when you focus on your critical business value, then suddenly the route to market becomes easier. So I've seen salespeople who've done that. Now, the way that they've communicated it is through using video. And I know that so many people have had video rammed down their throat using BombBomb, Vidyard, Loom, all of those things. I promise you that using video is an absolute game changer to talk to clients. It really is. Um, I use it so much. And I actually use it in so many different ways because I just love what video does and what it opens up to people. And, you know, it's very, it's easy for me to say I use it, but I just want to qualify to everybody. This is my Vidyard account. And as you can see, I use video all the time to talk to clients on them in my turquoise. And it's so important to be able to talk to clients so that they can see you. And it really breaks down barriers. So when you're trying to generate new business or overcome objections or even send proposals, use video. And I've seen so many people focus on using video a lot more. And I think... Can I just stop you there for a second? Um, Store owners, get over whatever it is that is holding you back. The only thing that can't be duplicated is you. So don't sit there and go, I got a wrinkle here. I got a wrinkle there. This thing's crooked. I don't like this. We all have those hangups. Every one of us, every human being, Farrah Fawcett thought there was something wrong with her. Okay. Just get over your lack of perfection in your own mind. Brand your store with videos that feature you, the owner. Please do this. Listen to Simon, what he's saying. The only thing that can't be duplicated is you. Please yeah. do this. And it requires effort. I mean, listen, everyone's everyone believes they've got faults. I but you know, we've all got a face for radio. But at the end of the day, you know, I'm bald, you know, I'm 53. And at the end of the day, you know, I can do it, you can do it. And I work with a lot of people who work in the retail space, and I've encouraged them to do things once they actually sell a product to a client, send them a personalized video within 24 hours asking them how they're getting along and some additional value that you can give. When you've got somebody that you're chasing for some information or follow-up on a decision or what have you, send them a video. It makes so much difference. In the hospitality industry, we've seen people use video to confirm bookings 24 hours before diners arrive in a restaurant just to say, We've got your table booked. Here is your reserved table that you wanted. We look forward to seeing you. We've got some great specials, blah, blah, blah. Their cancellation rate has dropped because there's that personal connection. So when I use video, I use it to introduce myself to delegates. I always do that. If you've got a meeting with a client, I always follow up with a video that I say, thank you so much for taking the time. It makes such a difference, all of those things. And you know, It's that personal touch. And that's what people come back with. They come back and say, that was such a nice personal thing that you did. And as long as you're looking into the camera, 
It's really, really important that we do that. And by looking into the camera, this is a real fun fact for you. You know, when you do stuff to a group of people, you can only hold eye contact with them one at a time. If you've got people on camera and you've got multiple people, as long as you're looking in the camera, you're holding eye contact with every single person on that call. And that's the only, that's what's so brilliant about video. And that's one of the things which actually makes it better than in person is that you can connect with every single person at exactly the same time right there. It's so important. It's so important. So using video is important. We're understanding critical business value. And then the other thing is to make sure that actually they are reporting on the activity that they're doing. You know, actually setting themselves reporting measures. So how many calls did I do this week? How many business uh, conversions did I do? How many sales did I make? And actually starting to measure and work out conversion rates so that they can suddenly start to see and measure their own success. And it doesn't matter. We know that sales is a roller coaster. You know, I worked in retail for years. And at the end of the day, we know that there are some days where you're in the store and you wonder why you're even there at all. Because, you know, no one rocks up. And when they do, you can't sell to them. And then there are other days where everything you touch turns to gold. It doesn't matter what sales environment you work in. You know, I do stuff within the luxury bathroom market and the luxury kitchen market. You know, there are some companies out there that I know in luxury kitchens, for example, that unless you're prepared to spend £65,000 on your kitchen, which is around about $100,000, they'll ask you to leave the showroom because they are that committed. You know, when you're starting to deal with bathroom companies, for example, that are selling, you know, a shower head that costs £10,000, you know, that's serious money. That's serious money. So, you know, you want to be able to believe in all of these things and give people the best experience, the very best experience, so that what, you know, what, what people call this client-facing time that's out there is so important. How much time you spend in front of the client. And it's just, you just have to do it. you just got to keep measuring it and keep doing it. Commit to it and focus on it. And if you don't focus on it, then you focused on something else, which doesn't matter. And if, you, as you said, if you're not doing it for you, well, who else are you doing it for? Who else are you doing it for? Yeah. What I love about these personal videos is uh, this is what you're doing. You're modeling your future behavior right now. This is what you're. This is what you're saying when you do a personalized video to a consumer that just bought from you. You matter. I truly am thankful. And guess what? God forbid, if you ever have a problem, I'll take care of it. I mean, you are separating yourself from your competition so much. I once had a customer that I thought I lost when uh, this is over 30 years ago when I was still in retail before I got into wholesale. And I laughed when they came in and I said, I thought you bought at Furniture Land. And they laughed and they said, we did. But there was a delay in the shipment. And we got something from you that we did not get from Furniture Land. I said, what was that? A personalized handwritten thank you. And we thought that we would check with you to see when you can deliver it. So I went up to my manager who was really a grumpy dude. And I said, Hershey, can we, uh, 
I know we're not supposed to do this, but I thought I lost this customer. They're coming back. They're going to buy this, this, that, and the other. And they would like a delivery date. He goes, tell them, I don't know how I'll make it happen. I do see the inventory on it, so it's fine. I know where they live. I will make it happen in the next few days. I just don't know what day right now. We'll find out tomorrow morning and call them. I said, it'll happen in the next few days. I can't tell you exactly what day till tomorrow morning. And they said, write it up. So, you know, you might think that the sale is gone, but your extra efforts, what what you're saying to the customer is so important. I'm different than the other salespeople. I really truly care about you. And I really truly am willing to go the extra mile because that's what you're doing. You're going the extra mile. And yeah, I think it's huge. Yeah. It's the extra mile is always, always uncrowded. So, you know, you may as well go because very few other people are there. And it's interesting that when, when we talk about genuinely caring and being different, I sat in front of a client years ago who said to me, and they're still a client right now. And they said to me, what makes your sales training different? And I said, you know what? Nothing, nothing. Sales training, sales training. I said, at the end of the day, nothing makes it different. However, however, one of the things you do need to know is I'm a lot more relevant. And they said, really? And I said, yeah, because I'm out selling every single day. I said, I run my own business. I said, I've sold for 30 years. I said, now I'm doing it for me. I said, everything that your salespeople go through every single day, I felt, and I'm still feeling it. And I can relate to them right now. So do you know what? In answer to your question, I'm not different. I'm relevant. And that's why you should use me. Their immediate response, and I kid you not, their immediate response was, let's get some dates in the diary. Because my word, everyone says they're different. Everyone. But you know what? When I was on the other side of it, and I had people selling me training or selling recruitment, I've had people who said, oh, we're different. We're different. We're different. It doesn't matter what it was. But if those people couldn't come back to me and tell me why they were different, and the answer must include that they would either make me money, save me money, or reduce my risk, then I wasn't talking to them. Because they would give me the same BS excuses every single time or the same reasons that I'd heard a billion times over that didn't make them relevant, didn't make them in any way different. So therefore, when I set out, I made myself a real promise that number one, I would be relevant and all the training that I would deliver would have been used by me in my business before I train it to you. Because if it doesn't work for me, I can't train it. So that's going to make it relevant. That's really important. Secondly, living something I was taught many years ago, which is always create an echo in life. Always create an echo in somebody because you never know when it's going to come back. That tiny little thing you do, that extra little bit. And let's face it, the difference between being satisfied and being delighted as a customer is usually very, very small, very small, the tiniest thing that means a lot. And if you get it right and you do it twice, you go from delighted to devoted and devoted clients will never go anywhere else. So if your strategy in life is always to delight your customers, guess what? You're one step short. You still need to be devoted. That's important. That's the customers, the customers that love you the customers that want to be with you because genuinely they know that you make a difference and that you do genuinely care. 
Anyone can sell to anyone once. You get someone to come back to you and you sell to them again and you keep them and you retain them. Do you know what? They love you. And that's something that's so important. Create the echo, let it come back. So focus on devoted customers, not just delighted customers. Create an echo. And here's something that Simon didn't say, but he lives every day because I follow, I followed him on LinkedIn forever. And uh, to my chagrin, I found out I wasn't connected to you. I love this guy. I, I mean, and how am I not connected to him? Anyway, I go a hundred miles an hour. Shame on me. We're connected now. And I am looking forward to seeing more from you. Relevant over different, great insight, Gator, Brian, Morell. Um, Show me what you're reading is something that I, great stuff as always, Alan. Thank you, Alan Langer. Uh, we appreciate oh, you. He's a friend of mine down in Rhode Island. Hey, Al, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> he's amazing. He is absolutely amazing. He does some really great stuff. Go on his profile and go back through every day in December and watch his videos. He did 31 sales tip videos Every single month, every single day for a month. They were sensational. Watch I will. He's brilliant. He's brilliant. I will. Watch as well. Um, the Secrets of Sales. He's really cool. Cool. I will do that. What so, do you want to know what I'm reading, did you say? You, you sell from the, your cup of belief. And part of your cup of belief is your knowledge base. And if you're not continuously filling that cup... You are, you, it's going to drain out. I mean, life will punch you in the face. Things will happen. You have to be committed to your craft. And I can tell whenever I've seen Simon on anything that he's ever done, that here is a professional who's committed, who will go above and beyond whatever he promises. He will deliver the goods no matter what. And I think that's ultimately what people buy. They buy you. Either they buy you or they don't buy you. And you have to be something worth buying. So if you're a store owner and your sales aren't what you want them to be, let me just give you a quick framework in a minute or two. Look at your advertising. Your advertising should not look like your competitor's advertising. It needs to look different. Look at the return for each media that you're using. And if you need to change that up, look at your messaging. Look at your displays. Come into your store, not as a store owner, not with your ego, not with your chip on your shoulder. You're a customer now. It's the first time you've ever been in a store. What does the parking lot say about you? What does the windows say about you? What does the doormat in front say about you? Is there litter? Is it clean? What does the showroom say about your store to your customer? Look at your displays. Look at your merchandising. Are you confusing customers with like product or their clear differentiation between pricing and features and benefits? And what are you doing to make sure your salespeople are better than your competitor salespeople? And listen, if they're not, you need to call somebody 
like Simon Harris here that does that full time. Forget about the reps. Most reps don't know what they're doing. I'm just telling you. You know, there was a time where reps were really well trained. Most of them are gone. The guys that were real hardcore, really students of sales, they're gone. Most of your reps that come into your stores that sell you merchandise, they're merchandisers. They can't help you sell the product. You're going to have to hire that out. I know it sounds like, oh my gosh, I've got an extra, uh, you know, an extra expense. Thanks, Pete. Thanks for giving me an ex- extra expense. Let me tell you something. It's an investment in your business and it will pay you handsome dividends when you get the right sales trainer in there to help your salespeople. And can and, I jump in on that one, Pete? Sure, absolutely. And I know Alan Langer, who's on, is going to jump up and down when I say this. You know <laughs> what you said about those merchandisers? That's what? not sales training. That's product training. And product training is not sales training. Yes, 100%. So 100%. Really important to know that distinction. You do need to know about your product. Of course you do. But there's something else I want to throw in that I use for retail as well. Sure. Never, ever underestimate your showroom's cleanliness. And there are three things that I look for when I go into a showroom of either furniture, bathrooms, kitchens, or what have you. Three things I look out for, and you don't want these guys in your showroom. Their names are Nick, Mark, and Chip. (laughs) <laughs> and if I come into your showroom and I find anywhere evidence of Nick, Mark, or Chip, then I'm going to ask myself, if this is how you treat your showroom, this is how you treat your version of my bedroom, how are you going to treat me? Because if you're prepared to let that happen, what happens when things go wrong for me? Mm. And what I look for is Nick, Mark, and Chip. And if they're there, I'm out the door. What I want to see, I want to see three other people. I want to see Shimmer, (laughs) Dazzle, and Shine. Mm. That's what I want to see. Because the bedroom is a sanctuary. And you know, we can learn from a lot of people. And let me just give you a quick example of something I learned from an 18-year-old guy who was experiencing his first week in sales out of college. And he was told to write a story about luxury bathrooms. And we did a bit on storytelling. He'd never sold before, but this was his approach to his clients. This was what he says. And he still says now, he always opens when he talks about the business he works for by saying, how many other rooms do you have in your house that you lock when you go into? How many other rooms do we retreat to to get away from the world, to relax and just be ourselves for ultimate privacy or even just to make ourselves look better for the rest of the world. Mm. It's your bathroom. And your bathroom is the only room you lock, then you value what's going on behind it, in which case you deserve the best. And I think maybe there's a little bit to be said about that for bedrooms as well and the things you keep in your bedrooms. So when I said that, he actually beat another 16 salespeople who had a lot of experience just on his opening line of how many other rooms do you lock in the room or have a lock on the door? And it really captivated the rest of us. It was like, my God, I've never thought of that. You're so right. 
18 years old and you come away and it really changed the way that I storytell because it made me approach it in a different way. You know, when I start to think about Nick, Mark and Chip and I talk about them, you know, people need to be thinking about that. Think about what their showroom looks like. Does it represent the customer's bedroom? So important. So important. Yep. That's huge. And the last one is after sales training is service. Do you keep your promises? What are you willing to do to keep your promises? And let me say this to all store owners. It's not good enough for your customer service people to know your service policies. From the janitor to the person that answers the phones, to the salespeople, to everybody involved in your business, they have to be committed to happy customers that are going to give you a five-star online review, that are going to give you a testimonial, and that are going to give you a referral because they love doing business with you so much that they want to see you succeed. In Simon's words, they are now devoted. So use that as just running through what to focus on, advertising, merchandising, display, sales training, service as a store owner, but never forget the power of stories and uh, have fun with your business. Life's too short, guys. I mean, I always say have fun, but I really mean it. You know, yeah, it should. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it, go and do something else if you're not. Absolutely. Go right go ahead. Do something else. Go and do something else. And just on your word where you said about policies and store policies, never say the P word to a client. Policies don't serve clients. They serve you. People Mm. and customers are not interested in that. They're interested in what serves them. And that's you. Never throw the words policy or it's our company policy or it's a gesture of goodwill. Never say those words to customers. It's corporate service rubbish. Do it because you genuinely want to do it because you want them back. All of that language is just service rubbish. Never say those words. They alienate your customer. They do. They do. Simon, thank you so much. You, my friend, over-delivered. If someone wants to get in touch with you and they said, man, this, this dude is unbelievable. What do you want them to do next? Well, they can go to the website, which lovely chap is just absolutely banging out here, which is fabulous. Thank you very much. They can get in contact with me on LinkedIn um, and they can get in contact with me via email or on my phone number, which is all on the website. They can do that. I do spend quite a lot of time working with people overseas in the USA and in Canada. So I'm really, really happy to talk to you. Um, I'm really aware of the cultural approaches as well. My family live in Florida. So I'm very, very used to the American continent and I've worked over there as well. So it's all good. Um, and I'd love to be able to meet any of the people that have been watching today if I can help. But it's all there for you. Love to help you and support you in some way, of course. Thank you, Simon. Have a great day. And that's it for episode 55. 